Hello and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and Chavruta Yerdena Osband. Our daf of the day, Masachet Yoma, daf Lamed Dalad, page 34. So, our daf here has a tremendous amount of what I would call procedural detail about the avoda. Right where we begin in the day, we've got our uh, there's different kinds of sacrifices. There's a chavitin, right? There are these griddle cakes. Yerdena, you spoke about them the other day. We've got nisachim, libations, and we've got, so. And then the Gemara talks about it in that way. And it's, you know, citation from the Mishnah, which really is also mentioning from the Torah, right? And basically the order, you know, the order of how this happens from when you bring the griddle cake to when you bring the libations and then when you have the Ketoret, right? Meaning the whole procedure here is, I would say... I don't know if it ever became second half to them because just people didn't do it often enough, right? When given the rotations of the Kohenim and so on. But I feel like if we could just read all the details here of the Duff, and we're not going to do it out loud, we could also just make the to-do list, so to speak, of of exactly how to get the day done, right? You know, first this, then that, then the next. Arrange them this way, move it on. We got to burn the blood. We got to, I mean, we've got to burn the limbs. We've got to sprinkle the blood in the other order, actually. Um, and it seems like, I would say that, you know, this is not a daf, at least in, in the standard basic daf commentaries. We don't have a lot of commentary. We don't have a lot of discussion. And I think we just want to mention that this is what's happening here rather than, in fact, seek out discussion that isn't really naturally here. Um, but, Dana, you have something to talk about on Ahmed Bet. Yes, I have something on Amud Bet. But again, I think we're just seeing sort of the very careful read that's done in order to understand the Avoda. Like, it's not just based on, like, what the Amorayim, again, who are very far away from what it actually being done, you know, how they thought or imagined it could happen. It's based on the Psukim and a very close read of the Psukim. So I, I hope that's something that everybody has come to appreciate after they've really spent almost, you know, to dap him just on this particular topic. Um, but then let's, we'll move on from, from the abode, from the details of that part of the daily abode. Um, the Gemara goes on now to part of the Mishnah. So let's say the Kohen Gadol was old or was this category of an Istanis, which we described as somebody who's a little particular or delicate, right? They would heat water for him on Yom Kippur, um, uh, on Arab Yom Kippur, so that they would put it into the cold water of the mikvah, because remember, we learned that the mikvah was really a natural spring. So it was very well it came from natural spring water. So it was quite cold in order to like not make it so cold. And, you know, as before I explained, I've always been fascinated by this halachic category of istanis, um, because we do seem to make like a lot of accommodations for it. And even though I think we could sometimes say it's like a person, you know, zakane is one thing that we're making an accommodation for. That sort of makes sense. But the category of istinus, the idea that, you know, you're a little particular, you're a little finicky, but we're going to like bend the halacha for that a little bit is interesting. So what is the I, 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 I love this. This to me is one of those things when people say, oh, the sages were so wise in the ways of psychology and so on. I feel like this is one of the prime examples of exactly that, because nowadays we know all about. You know, we talked about highly sensitive people. We know about people who have neuroses in a way that is clinical, right? It's not, you know, and and we make accommodation and the Gemara already has taken care of that. Right. And I think this is another another piece of recognizing, like, as much as the Kohen Gadol is doing this spiritual avoda, 
the Cohen Gadol is still human, <laughs> right? Which and like, they don't knock him out for this. They don't no, say, not I'm at all. sorry, right. it's if this, we'd have to heat up the water for you, forget it. Right. They say, all right, we've got to heat up the water. Right. I think that's what's great about it because the other solution could have been, oh, if you're an Istanis or you're a Zuckane, we'll disqualify you because maybe it's too much for you to go for, to the mikvah. And instead, I think what we're saying is it's hopeful in a way, like, look, if you're a person who is deserving to be a Cohen Gadol, Right. Again, we're not talking about that category of coin guzzles seems to have bought their way into it at the time of buy a change. <laughs> but if you're no. someone who really deserved it, the fact that like it, it might be difficult for you to use the mikvah, that's not really a reason to disqualify you. So then they bring a Bryce here, a Tanya, and now they're going to describe how they really did the heating. When you read the mission, it looks like they heated water, but they say the following. I'm a Rabbi Huda. Rabbi Huda says, um, as he suit shell barzel. So they took these um, metal like rods basically of iron and they would heat them on Arab Yom Kippur and then they would put them like these heated rods inside the water itself and that would sort of get the chill out of it um, right in order to you know temper I guess one of the English ways of translating it the cold so now the Gemara basically asks wait doesn't he harden the iron? If you take something that's hot, right, think about it, and then you put it, you dunk it in something that's cold, it will harden that item quickly. And isn't that a problem to do um, on Shabbat? I'm a Rabibi, right? So, um, uh, so Rabibi says, um, So Rabibi says, no, it wasn't hot enough that you really were, um, the iron wasn't hot enough that you really would be hardening it once it went into the cold water. So that's one way of understanding why it was permissible. But Abaye has a different answer. Abaye Amar, even if you say that it got to the point where it could have hardened, something that's unintentional, unintentioned is allowed. So again, principle that we saw in Masachat Shabbat, right? Are you allowed to do, let's say, certain things on Shabbat or Yom Tov? Because it wasn't the original intention. The intention isn't to harden the iron, right? The intention is to get the chill out of the water. So you just may happen to harden the iron while you do it. And that's why Abai says it's okay. So, you know, again, very different answers. Rabibi saying it doesn't get hot enough to harden it. And Abai saying, we don't care if you harden it. It wasn't what your intention was. Umi Amar Hacha. So then the Gemara says, wait, did Abai really hold like this? Bahatanya. Right? Wasn't it taught in a price of Bissar or Lato? So this is a Basuk in Vayikra in chapter 12, verse 3, that says in the eighth day, right, Bissar or Lato, the flesh of the foreskin is going to be circumcised. And so what we learn from here is that even if there is a white spot, like that white, the Baharit of leprosy, you could, on that foreskin, you still could cut that foreskin up, even though when you read the portion about leprosy, about Mitzorah, the Torah explicitly says that if you have the Baharit there, you're not allowed to remove it because you need to have the coin check in and make sure that you're not actually Mitzorah. But when it comes to the mitzvah of Brit Milah, even if there's a Baharit on that foreskin, you're allowed to remove it because doing that mitzvah is so important. Right? Divrei Rabbi Yoshia. That's what Rabbi Yoshia says. Right? And so we also discussed here. Kra Lamali. Why do I really need this particular uh, pasuk, right? If, you know, he wasn't intending, in other words, because if we're going to hold by this opinion of a baye, right, 
right? Something that was unintended is allowed. When you do a bris milan, that's foreskin that has the baharit on it, your intention isn't to remove that white lesion. Your intention is to bris milah. You just happen to remove it, the baharit while you do it. So why do we need a pasuk to tell us that it's okay? The, according to Abaye's opinion, it should be all right. The Amar Abaye, wait, but this is what this, what we're saying. What does Abaye say? Live Rabbi Yehuda, right? That according to Rabbi Yehuda, right? The statement of Rabbi Yoshia, right? Is really according to Rabbi Yehuda, right? Because Rabbi Yehuda said what? So yes, what we're trying to say is, is that, uh, you know, Abaye, right? Now we have a case where at one time, he seems to say, but then we have this other teaching of his where he explores Rabbi Huda's opinion in the name of Rabbi Yoshiach, that even if you didn't intend something, it still would be Asur. So the Gemara answers, honey, me light, right? When Abaye is talking about Rabbi Yehuda, it applies to all actions that are in the Torah itself. But here in this case of the hardening of the iron with the tzeruf, right? This hardening, right? It's not actually prohibited by uh, by the Torah itself. Notice when they first brought it up, they didn't bring up a specific malacha, right? They didn't say, oh, it's this malacha, it's that malacha. They just said it's something that you shouldn't do. And in fact, when I read that initial Gemara, I was a little confused by it because I was like, what's the actual malacha that you're doing? It's not that it's a malacha, it's that it's a prohibited action and so therefore, for a Dirabanan level thing, that Abaye would say, and even Rabbi Yehuda, we would say, would say, when it's a Dirabanan, when it's not something from the Torah. But when we're talking about an item that actually is a sore from the Torah, we conclude in the end, is actually a sore. So again, a different application, right, of a, of a, um, of a halachic framing principle that we did see in Shabbat, um, but here as it applies to Yom Kippur and it as applies to Brit Milah. And, you know, just seeing how some of these repetitive themes, you know, get placed with different halachot, uh, it always helps us, I think, understand halacha in general uh, better. I feel like it gets applied every which way, meaning this is a recurring halacha. This is a recurring discussion application to more different other cases. You know, that we have not seen the end of this. I would agree. And we'll probably see this Dabr Shano Mitzkabi pop up again. Right, so, right. That's so what far, I mean. Right, exactly. Right. So we so far we've seen Shabbos. Now we've seen Yom Kippur. Well, let's say Yom Tov, right? It's Yom Tov, really. But again, with and we saw with Shabbat. And lastly, with Brit Milat. But, and we saw it with Bracho, meaning the question of intent is so fundamental to any mitzvah, right? To... What are we doing when we do mitzvot? It's, it's a really, you know, very sweeping kind of topic. Right. So it and makes sense to me that it's going to show up all the time. Right. And here it is, kavana with something that's a sore, which is sort of like the the, the flip of it. You right, know, right. What exactly. if you don't intend to do something that was a sore? Okay. So I'm actually going to finish up the daf with a mishnah that's at the end of the daf. The Gemara discussion on this mishnah is on the next daf, and we will talk about it tomorrow. Um, here we go. We're continuing the Mishnah, right? They continue through the course of the day. And now that the Kohen Gadol, you know, up until this Mishnah has basically been doing the Avoda of the, the, the basic Avoda of the day is not the Yom Kippur specific Avoda yet. But now he's going to change out of his gold clothing into his white clothing. 
and begin, you know, shifting into Yom Kippur, so to speak. And we should note, uh, you know, of course, he's fasting all this time, right? It is still the day of Yom Kippur in, in the ways that we have an overlap between our modern experience of Yom Kippur and that of the Beit HaMikdash. All of those are in place, whatever those ways are. I think fasting is probably the main one. Well, the Inuyim, right? All of the five prohibitions of what you're not allowed to do on Yom Kippur. So they bring him to, to dunk, right? in this Kodesh place, in the sanctified place, in the Beit Parva, um, which, you know, again, it's in the sanctified place, in the Beit HaMikdash, as compared to that first dunking, which was outside. Um, and they spread this sheet of, it says, a fine linen. We're going to talk about that linen in, in a moment. Between him and the people, right, they're going to preserve his modesty. We've discussed this already. So first, he washes his hands and his feet. And he takes off ufashat, he strips, right? He takes off his clothing. Rabbi Meir Omer, Pashat, Rabbi Meir says, no, he does it the opposite order. First, he removes his clothes, his garments, and then he does the sanctification of his hands and his feet, which the fact is, is not an unreasonable idea in terms of, you know, what, keeping, taking off all of the things that might have been any impediment to that sanctification before then washing hands and feet. But again, this the I'm sorry, the mission here doesn't actually provide us with a rationale. Any of the rationale is going to be commentaries speculating um, or deriving, I guess. So then he goes down and he immerses. He comes up and he dries himself off. They bring him the white garments. Lavash, he gets dressed. He gets dressed, and then again, he washes his hands and his feet. He sanctifies his hands and his feet. Because this is the the sandwich, let's say, of the way the garment changes would take place. Right? First, you have to, you know, remove the previous garment, dunk, and then, well, again, with the hands and feet sandwiching the, the new change. What I find particularly interesting about this mission is that it gets into a detail, a level of detail that is a little bit unexpected, and it's specifically about these linen garments. So Rabbi Meir explains that from the beginning of the day, um, in the morning, he would wear linen garments that were coming from Pelusin, which is a, an Egyptian city, and these were worth 1,200 dinar, dinar or Zeus, right? Meaning that's the monetary value. And it means that they were, you know, they're very expensive because they're very high quality. Um, They got the linen from Egypt. So already that I find to be an interesting, you know, measure of the way they they really went all out to bring the finest of things to the worship of the, that would take place in the Beit HaMikdash. So Egyptian linen in the morning and then in the afternoon, he wore garments from India, um, which, of course, is also interesting because, you know, in the Western world, India was not even known at, at this time. Um, and these were a little bit less expensive. They were only worth 800 zoos. And all of this is Rabbi Meir's opinion. They switch the order. They say he wore the less expensive garments from India in the morning and the more expensive garments, the 12 Manazus um in the in the afternoon. Twelve mana. Um Hakol Shoshim Mana. So at the end of the day, all of this is worth thirty mana. 
Maneh meaning that's the the hundred, right? Thirty each one maneh is a hundred dinar. Um Ela Michel Tibor, the Imratzalosif, Mosif Michelo. This the funding to get these garments is from the Tibor, is from the community's coffers. And if he wants to add to have even more uh, a higher quality, if there was such a thing, right, of uh, finer, finer linen, whatever, that he can do that. He can he can finish it off on his own, and that would be considered acceptable. Honestly, I would think that if somebody thought that this linen was not fine enough, I would wonder why he isn't obligated to add to it, because this should be the finest of the fine. And if for for whatever reason you are able to turn your nose up at this and say, oh, well, that's not really the finest of the fine. Really, we need, you know, I don't know, something that's worth 1,600 zoos from some other country. Uh, you know, again, I'm not saying this happened. I'm saying, but if you thought that this was not fine enough, then that I would think that you would need to you know, invest to make sure that you're dealing with the finest of the fine for the avoda. Again, I'm not saying that that's a halacha. I'm just trying to say, like, the the qualification here of being able to add from your own coffers to the to the what you would be wear what the coin would be wearing for the sake of doing the communal offering, the day the communal avoda of the day is an interesting wrinkle I find, um, and and I think it's um I I think it has to speak. It has to speak to the, the, I don't know what the identity or the priorities, the sensitivities, sensibilities of the Kohen himself. Right, and here we see another level to that. Right, so the Kohen represents the nation, and I think we're going to see more of this when we get to the vidoy, which we're getting up to, like a personal vidoy versus a national vidoy. There's the spiritual piece to the avoda. We see all these actions that are done to sort of either control certain bodily functions or make pieces of the body sort of feel more comfortable. And now we've added an additional element, which we saw a little bit hinted to before, but it's really explicit in this Mishnah, which is sort of the coin guzzle contributing his own money or sort of keeping things to a particular materialistic standard um, because it does somehow enhance the avoda or show how invested the Kohen Gadol is into it. Now, I could certainly see a religious premise where we say, maybe you shouldn't spend money on that, right? Because like, you know, in a way we always, you know, we always think about particularly Yom Kippur, you know, we're supposed to be like the Malachim, we don't eat, we don't drink. So there's something about fine clothing that doesn't totally fit with that. Um, But I think, you know, there is, Judaism does present a value of sort of like things looking nice does enhance it. I think anything, you know, whenever I say something like that, of course, that could be taken to an extreme. But I do think in this mission, we see that as a value. Yes, I do. I agree with you. I also just want to comment because the, as far as I can tell, the plain sense of the Mishnah is that these places, Pilusin, the Hinduin, are places, right? Meaning that they've imported their their linen. Um, but there are commentaries, and I just want to make a note of it, that there are commentaries who say that these are actually the style of the garment, presumably following a style from this respect to places. Um, and the reason that's significant is because it's not only the Rambam who says this, but the Rambam also says this. And since he is our, you know, he's called the eagle of the halacha, uh, it's notable, I think, when, especially when the the way the psaq comes down is different from the plain sense of the Mishnah. 
right? The Mishnah itself, it makes it sound like, well, they imported their linen, you know? Um, and it seemed, the question here is, are they, were they a different style of garment? And of course, that raises a whole, you know, whole set of questions about how could there be a different style of, of garment when we're talking about the very carefully prescribed Big Day Kahuna. So I don't, I haven't delved enough into this, but I think it's an interesting question, um, exactly why they want to, um, describe the garments to be this way instead of just the fabric. Maybe it's something about the process of importing. I don't know. Uh, all good questions. I don't know enough about how these things are made, but I'm sure there's someone who has a book or a dissertation. Well, that's <laughs> our gap discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this stuff on our Talking Talent Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. 